Welcome back to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. The cooler weather marks the return of respiratory illnesses, so make sure you stay healthy by getting your vaccines. School of Medicine Dean Dr. Stephen Burke and Chair of Family Medicine Dr. Ron Cook are our guests for this episode. They explain why it's important to get your boosters or vaccines, when we should schedule an appointment with our primary care provider if you're not feeling well, and what other illnesses or injuries to look out for this time of year. Dr. Burke, Dr. Cook, thank you for coming back on our podcast. You bet. Our pleasure. Yeah. Can you remind us what you do at the Health Sciences Center? I'm Steve Burke, and I'm the dean of the Texas Tech Health Science Center School of Medicine, going into my 16th year, and also the executive vice president for clinical affairs and an infectious disease specialist. So and I'm Ron Cook. I'm chair of family medicine. I'm also the health authority for the city of Lubbock and been doing this for a number of years. I've kind of lost count. 20, 30, 35? What my pins say? 30 years? Next one's 35. Well, again, welcome to our podcast. We always enjoy having you two on. My pleasure. Are there any illnesses or viruses that occur during the fall or winter that we need to look out for? And are there any age groups that are more susceptible to being sick? Well, I'll start with... The importance of being aware of influenza. It comes every year. About 40,000 people a year in the United States die from influenza. It always looks a little bit different each year. The actual strains, whether it's influenza A or influenza B, the strains mutate, and so they're a little bit different. We need a new vaccine every year. And... uh, I think we've all agreed in recent years that everyone needs to be protected from influenza from six months of age on, but the individuals we're really worried about are those who would die if they got influenza, and those are individuals with underlying diseases like chronic obstructive lung disease, heart disease, immunological deficiencies, But probably most important of all, just the elderly, even the healthy elderly, can get very sick from influenza. So that's probably the most important thing on our minds right now. This is influenza season. This is time to get the influenza vaccine. There's a special vaccine for those 65 years of age and over that's a little bit stronger than vaccines in the past. So that's one of the most important messages that influenza will be affecting our community and there's a way to prevent getting sick. So true. It is also present that Texas already has a significant number of uh, influenza cases here. We've also seen it uh, in Lubbock, and primarily influenza A, just a tiny bit of influenza B. But it is present, and Texas is orange compared to the green or light green or light yellow Colors, if you go to the CDC website, Texas is orange, where Georgia is burnt orange, it's darker. 
And so there's a few places toward the east that's a little darker than us, but we've already hit, been hit pretty hard. I was talking to another infectious disease specialist this morning, and he said we've had a few cases already hospitalized uh, related to influenza and pneumonia associated as a result of getting influenza. So we, go get your flu shot. There's always been lots of debate about what's the best time to get an influenza vaccine. I think most people agree now that there are times that are too early. July and August is probably too early to get the vaccine because the antibody response may start weakening in February or March. So most of the experts agree that the time is now. It's October, November is the best time to get vaccinated against influenza. Some people say, well, what, what's different this year? And I think it's because we've taken off our masks. We're probably much closer to each other than what we have been the last two years for the most part. And people are returning back to work and maybe tired of fighting with COVID, tired of fighting with your mask. And we're just not probably taking quite the same precautions as we did prior to uh, the last two years with fighting with COVID, which, which as you look back historically, we had relatively very few cases of influenza the last mm -hmm. two years. And now it's already hit Texas hard and, and a few other places. So just case in point. Well, another thing about Texas is that we have a lot of uninsured people. So I guess my question is, at what point should they go to the emergency room or call a doctor if it's influenza or COVID or maybe allergies? That's a great question, and uh, there's no real hard and fast answer. I think clearly everyone would say if you're not that sick, if you have fever and muscle aches, sore throat, runny nose— there's no reason to go to the emergency room. And in fact, it's not a great idea to go to the emergency room and potentially infect other people. There are some very specific symptoms that would make one either call their physician or go to the emergency room. Shortness of breath would be a great example. If you, if you feel like you have a respiratory infection and you're having trouble breathing, then you need your primary care doctor or an ER doctor. And then if you, like, have really severe pain when you take a deep breath, what we call pleuritic chest pain, that's not anything you'd want to fool around with either. Also, shaking chills or drenching sweats, that would suggest maybe a bacterial superinfection. So it's hard to give very specific advice. But I think we would all agree if you're not that sick, you can be home resting with fluids. But there are some specific things that I mentioned that require a physician's attention. Dr. Cook is a primary care physician, so I, I agree. Have a specific. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, as Dr. Burke mentioned earlier, flu can be much worse in, in older individuals. Those individuals run at their maximum capacity to be at their station in life, and then you add flu on top of that, and it really taxes their system, and it may be chest pain. It may be taxed out their heart so much that it's causing chest pain, or their respiratory system, like Dr. Burke, Burke said. It may develop into a secondary pneumonia, and you get these pleuritic chest pains maybe from, from the pneumonia. Many people have finger pulse oxes oximetry devices that they bought during COVID. So if you're 
O2 saturations drop below 90 or 91 percent, then it may be time, and that's not your baseline and you're having other symptoms associated with it, then that may be time to go to the emergency room. If Tylenol and Motrin don't take care of your symptoms for the most part, then it may be time to go to the emergency room. Should we be concerned about a COVID surge in the next few months, and should people get the COVID and flu vaccine at the same time? Well, most people are suspecting that COVID will spike up in the winter months. If for no other reason, then the cold weather is going to bring people together again. And without as much mask and social distancing. So I think most infectious disease specialists expect that there will be an increasing number of COVID cases, not a, not a decrease in, in COVID. So yes, we would expect that. And again, the COVID vaccine is critical, just like the influenza vaccine is critical. I'd say for the most part, it'd be interesting to see what Dr. Cook says, but for the most part, the recommendation is if you're going to get vaccinated, and if you have the opportunity to get vaccinated with both, you might as well mm -hmm. do it, whether that would increase your symptoms of soreness of, in your arm is, is possible, but... For the most part, I think a good recommendation is that lots and lots of people have gotten both vaccines at the same time, and it's a good recommendation to get both vaccines at the same time. I guess an exception would be if you're someone who's had a lot of arm pain or a lot of uh, fever associated with either one of the vaccines, then maybe you can separate them out. What would you yeah, say? Yeah, true. I, I, absolutely true. I think if you're given the opportunity and you're otherwise fairly healthy, I would go ahead and and get it even when children show up to our clinic um, and have mild upper respiratory stuff and mild symptoms, even if they're feeling a little bit puny. Many times we don't want to miss the opportunity to go ahead and vaccinate those children or, or adults. So sure, your immune system is very, very intelligent and it sees all kinds of immunogenic factors throughout the day. You just walk outside in Lubbock and all those things in New Mexico come over and hit us in the face when the wind blows. And so our immune system is quite intelligent and can handle two shots at the same time for the most part. So, Well, you keep mentioning that people are going to be closer together during this cold weather. And we haven't heard much about monkeypox, but should we be concerned about that? Is that another thing that, that, that would increase because of our proximity? That would be somewhat of a concern. Monkeypox, of course, is a relative of smallpox. And it's worthwhile to remember that we eradicated smallpox with vaccination. But monkeypox is not eradicated. Fortunately, it's a much more mild disease than smallpox ever was, although the rash looks somewhat similar. I think what the message to people is that getting monkeypox is different, say, than COVID. It's not about wearing a mask. It's not about virus in the air, although occasionally you could get monkeypox through respiratory uh, droplets. But this is about very close contact with someone who has monkeypox. So if you want to know who's going to get monkeypox, it's someone who is really very close to someone who already has monkeypox. And that's why even though it's not a sexually transmitted disease, it seems like one because sexual partners transmit the disease, obviously, pretty easily from one to the other. In fact, it's important to note that 
this isn't a disease of the gay population, even though it may seem that way from the epidemiology. Anybody can get monkeypox if they've had an intimate exposure to someone who has a disease. So you're very close to them. You're sharing utensils. You're touching the same surfaces they've touched. The common sense things that people would think about are the things that would prevent you from getting monkeypox from someone who already has it. But the numbers are the numbers yeah. are still small. Very low. We've only had nine cases total mm-hmm. in, in Lubbock, and look how many months it's been in the news and since it started in the United States and New York City. So only nine cases. Most of those, as Dr. Burke said, require very, a fairly prolonged physical contact with somebody that does have open sores. And so... And good advice to individuals because the rash isn't that characteristic. There's, there's like a flat red lesion that becomes a pustule and eventually a scab. But a lot of people are going to imagine that they might have monkeypox, and so they may need to spend some time uh, talking to their physician. But I think one one thing that's very helpful is with monkeypox, you don't just wind up with a rash. You're, you, you usually have had fever, systemic symptoms, aches and pains for quite a while, five days, ten days, before the rash actually comes about. Now, another illness that we haven't heard about in a long time is polio, and some cities have detected polio in their wastewater. Is that something that we should be concerned about as well? It's an issue that's a little bit confusing to people. The fact that you can find or that we found polio in wastewater in New York City, in the UK, and a few other places, it can be one individual with polio that produces a lot of virus in the wastewater. But still, yes, it's a concern. And the most important lesson is that everyone needs to be vaccinated against polio. If everyone is vaccinated against polio, then we won't find these cases of polio virus in in the wastewater. So in the past, we've had almost complete vaccination of school children against polio, and now we're losing some of that. In some places in New York, instead of 90% vaccination, it's 60% vaccination. So that's going to be the big issue. Are we going to have less polio vaccine because people have sort of turned against the idea of vaccines or they're not thinking about overall vaccination anymore or they don't trust the CDC's recommendations? That will be the issue. But Children will need the four polio vaccines. We don't do the oral polio very much. The live polio vaccine, we use a killed polio vaccine. And that will be the key to make sure we're not going to give up on our excellent experience with polio vaccination in the past. You probably remember getting your polio vaccine on a sugar cube and the little oral, but we've not used the oral vaccine, which is the attenuated live vaccine since 2000s, early 2000. And so uh, it's all injected, which is a non-live virus anymore. So you really can't get polio from that one. This individual that showed up in New York was somebody that came from Europe somewhere 
that received the oral polio virus uh, vaccine and was shedding the virus and gave it to somebody who wasn't vaccinated against polio. And then they started sharing. It's kind of a GI symptom, symptomatic bug that eventually may affect the neurologic system, and but it's shed out in the gut. And so, of course, it's in the wastewater, and that's where they picked it up. So the goal here is to make sure you get your or you're up to date on all your all your vaccines. And like Dr. Burke said, our kiddos actually get four doses: two, four, six, two, four, and six months, and then again at uh, six to eight years. So we shouldn't see it here. It's it's always a possibility when pockets of people don't get vaccinated. Well, aside from viruses or respiratory illnesses, what are other fall or winter illnesses or maybe even injuries, such as frostbite or dry skin, fungus? Dry skin is always an issue in the winter. You know, we we typically heat our homes, most of the homes out here. Gas is cheaper than electricity. So that tends to dry out. Heat does dry out the air more. And so we continue to bathe as often as we did prior, like we did in the summer, but it does dry out our skin more. So dry heat in your homes causes dry skin, which makes you more itchy and may cause more problems. Frostbite is also a potential issue. We don't get super cold out here, but we do get hypothermia out here if you're exposed. And so we'll get the weathermen are really good. Weathermen and women are really good at making us aware of when, you know, the wind chill and making sure we don't get frostbite. The number one thing we should make sure that's not related to infectious disease is right now, because we've had a little cold snap, it was a little cool this morning, many people turned on their heaters, make sure your carbon monoxide detector is has a brand new battery in it and making sure that you're not exposing yourself to carbon monoxide, which is a odorless gas that can kill you. So if, if you wake up in the morning and you have significant headaches or nausea, you better make sure that your heater is under good control. It could be just as little as on the furnace that the the flu, that the vent on top of the furnace has been knocked off in the heater closet, and it's not that carbon monoxide is not going out. So just make sure if you're waking up with a headache or nausea, making sure that, that you're not part of or not being poisoned by carbon monoxide, which is easily fixed. Just get outside in some fresh air and, and it easily goes away, but certainly it can kill. And it, it usually happens every year. So just be careful. And I would add in the winter falls in the elderly. Falls can be devastating in the elderly. You break a hip and your whole lifestyle can be changed very quickly. So elderly people tend to have reasons to fall, the medications they're on or their unsteadiness of gait. And so we have to worry under snowy or icy conditions. When we decide here whether a clinic should be open or closed, one of the real issues is how icy is it to get into the clinic? And if the grounds of our clinic are really iced up, then I'm okay with closing the clinic rather than having some elderly patient in the winter fall and break their hip or break any bone. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Certainly. Vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. If you don't have your flu shot, go get it. If you don't have your your updated booster, which is the bivalent vaccine for both the Omicron variants uh, around here, 
And it's the old-style vaccine. It's not an mRNA vaccine. It's the old-style vaccine that, like flu and all of our other vaccines are related to. So go get your updated booster and then just wash your hands. If you're sick, stay home. Don't come to work and infect everybody else. And that is true not only for COVID and for influenza, but again, as people get close together in the winter, there's... Other virus. There's a cold virus, which, of course, lots of people are going to get. There's respiratory syncytial virus, enteroviruses. There's all kinds of other respiratory viruses that will also get mixed in there with what might look like COVID or influenza. Well, thanks again for coming on our podcast and reminding us to get our boosters and vaccines and for the tips for helping us to stay healthy during this time of year. Our pleasure. Sure. Our pleasure. Thank you. You bet. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susana Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, and me, Melissa Whitfield.